because, you know, right? That's, I mean, that just should, it gets guys excited, okay? The only thing better than watching something blowing up is blowing it up yourself. I, I mean, really, that's, I mean, that's the way it is. Uh, so, so to all you uh, fathers, that, that I, I hope your day is as exciting as that video. Uh, and I hope you don't blow anything up that you need. Uh, so... All right, so today is our last day in the Misfit Heroes series. We're going to start a new series called Summer in the Psalms uh, next uh, Sunday, and uh, I figured what better way to end out, instead of talking about one person, I'm going to kind of wrap up this uh, series of Misfit Heroes with five fathers that we can learn from. Okay, y'all are thinking, holy cow, we're in here for a few for a while because you've been doing like sermons with one person. I promise you, it's going to be. We're going to get through this, okay? So uh, here's, I love this, I love this uh, saying. It says, the measure of a man is what he does for others, not merely for himself. I love that idea. Now, now I, I, like I say, every Mother's Day and Father's Day, the message will not be just for men. So women, you don't have to, you know, don't tune out because uh, we can always get something from it. Uh, and and there will be things that I specifically uh, maybe point towards the father here and there. But I believe that these are life lessons that we can all learn from. But the measure of a man, or if you, if you need to hear it that way, the measure of a person is not uh, by what they do. It's what they do for others, not merely for themselves. A lot of times what I would call that is a legacy. It's the legacy that we leave for people to follow. Um, I remember when I was a youth pastor and I went to a conference and uh, I heard a speaker once say, there are at least 10 eyes looking at how you live your life at any given moment in your life. At any given, right? And you may be going, I don't even know 10 people that should be looking at how I live. Like, but, but at any given time, there are people that are looking at you and they're looking at how you're making decisions. They're looking at how you are walking through life. They are looking at how, how is that person making this decision? How is this person handling this circumstance? Where are they getting their strength from? Are they making mistakes? Are they, are they doing the right things? And they are learning to to decide how they are going to navigate this world by looking at you. No weight involved there. But I think it's a good weight. I think it's a, it's a weight that makes me go, when, I, when I'm facing a tough situation, I want to go, I want when my kids look at this circumstance, am I doing the right thing in their eyes? You know, if, 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 am I, am I uh, being too emotional in this? Am I making an emotional decision? Am I, am I thinking things through? Am I, am I going through all of my processes? I believe that we all have moments that shape the course of our life, moments where we made decisions that ended up making us, whether that's good or bad. You know, um, dealing with people that, that have rough past addictions or, or traumas in their life, a lot of times you can go back and you can pinpoint, you know, yeah, in, in this moment they made a decision or this thing happened to them. And it's what went from where the path they were headed to the path that they became on. You know, and, and I'll say, I don't think any 12-year-old goes, I hope that I'm a druggie when I grow up. I mean, I, I just don't, I don't see that, right? So what happens in that lifetime? Or, or you know what, I hope that I have five divorces as, uh, when, when I get married. I hope that there's like five of them in my lifetime. Like, you know, I don't think anybody wishes that thing on them. Like, you know, when you're 10 years old, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a punk and I want to hate everybody. But what creates that in people? And the vice versa is what creates people that are making good decisions that are going, hey, you know, even though this is a tough circumstance, I'm, I'm making these decisions so that my future can look better. 
We all have moments that make us and leave a legacy for others. We, we choose between moments who we want to be. These moments, they, they help define what we will represent, the kind of lifestyle choices that we will make, the faith choices that we will make, the friend groups that we will uh, cling to. These, these moments in life that, that we just a lot of times will say they're happenstance or, oh man, it was just, it was just by chance that we met Brooke and Blake. I don't, I don't believe that. I don't, I don't believe that, that God puts people in your life or circumstances in your life where, where, where you start to meet people and, and they help shift and change your life. I love, if, if there's one thing I love about Facebook, and there's not a whole, this is not an exhaustive list of things I love about Facebook because that'd be a very short list. But one of the things I do love is the memories. I love getting to go back, and, and it says, on this day, and, 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 and now, like, uh, we've been here long enough to where it's a nice little blend of Arkansas and, and, and California life, and, and I love, just recently, we had our first baptisms come up on, on, on memories, and, and I, I just, I love seeing where we were three years ago with some people, and where they are now, and it's, it's about moments. It's about the moments that we choose and the decisions in those moments and how we're going to live. We have to embrace our transformative moments so that future generations are made better for us being here. Everybody has transformative moments in their life. Everybody has those moments where they can define and, and, and help you decide the path and the person that you will become. And I truly believe that a life of obedience and trusting God can be modeled and lived out in a manner that encourages faith in the future generations. I believe that, that I mean, just look around. Man, churches, and I know I said this last week, but church has been feeling really good and, and, and full, and, and I'm loving it. I, you know, a year ago, this would have been like 10 people in the room a year ago on a, in a June. I, let's, I'm just going to be real. And, and man, it feels full. It feels nice. And then we hear statistics like this generation. When I say this generation, I mean like the age group that's going to, uh, to Axis. 4% of them will be Christians by the time they become adults. Let that sink in for a minute. 4%. Now, it's statistical. But I believe that what changes that is when, not when we go, well, those stinking young kids, if they would just love Jesus. No, 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 no. We're modeling it for them. So if we want young people to be excited about Jesus, then they need to see the next gener the generation above them be excited for Jesus. Not, come on, we're going to church, boy. This is what we do. Because God's got to be happy about our one hour on a week. No. Because what happens is we create ritual instead of relationship. And they go, I can't wait to get to college or get out of this house so that I can stop wasting my time with this because they don't see transformation. I've, heard, I've had teenagers say this to me before as well. You know, Pastor Scott, um, so-and-so says they're a Christian and they go and do whatever they want. What mixed signal does that send to the next generation that we can say, well, I'm a Christian, but here's the word of God and I'm not going to live up to the standards. I just talked to the teenagers about standards a couple weeks ago on a Thursday night. And I, I said, listen, if, if, I said, if I said something like, you know, somebody show me a foot, not your feet, please do not keep them in your shoes, okay? But if I, you know, if I said, mark a foot out, 
Y'all would be like, well, it's about this long, or you know, we'd start to get different levels of feet. But the true measure of a foot is when you bring out a measuring tape and you say one foot, because one foot is one foot is one foot when it's measured out. There's a standard to that. There's no guessing. Could you imagine if I said, hey, you know what? I'm going to build you a house. You're like, yeah. I'm going to use no forms of measurement. <laughs> nope, you can keep your house. <laughs> Be like the little piggy with straws. You can blow that thing right down. One wall's 12 feet tall. The next wall's 10 foot. You're like sloped in. You're, what the heck's going on? Could you imagine if you walked into, uh, you had to have open heart surgery? Now, anything, here's what I know about open-heart surgery. You're talking about little bitty movements that could be the difference between you live and oops, he bled out. Okay? And so I'm pretty sure that you, you know, well, it's okay. I'm not a doctor, but I stayed at Holiday Inn. No, we don't want that guy. We want the guy that's been to school that knows the, the difference between each little vein and vessel and everything in that area. And knows that if he, if, if he or she cuts one millimeter this way or one millimeter this way, it could be bad. Because they have a standard. Man, I want to I pass on a standard to the next generation. But can I tell you that it can't just be a pastor. It can't just be a worship team or leadership. It's got to be you. It's got to be each and every one of us that are in people's lives. And, and really, the, the message of today is to challenge us to go, hey, do I have the Father's heart living inside of me so that I can pass it on to others? I want to pass things on. So, so I've got five, five fathers in the Bible that I want to give you this morning. And the first one is this, is Enoch. And it's the transformative moments. If you look in Genesis 5, 21 through 24, Enoch is not mentioned very much in the Bible. Literally, Genesis 5 through 21 through 24. That's it. Yet, it's a very important uh, story in the Bible. It says this. When Enoch had lived 65 years... 65, we're thinking retirement. We're ready to like, you know, hey, we're on the second end of our life. Not him. He became the, at six, anybody over 65 in the room? Okay, a couple of you, right? Could you imagine at 65, he became a father? (laughs) At 35, I didn't want to become a father. Like, at 35, I was done. I was like, look, I want, when my kids are out, like, I'll be 40-something years old. (laughs) At 65 years old, Enoch became a father to Methuselah. Who names their boy Methuselah? Enoch. But check out this next line. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years, and Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. There's only two people in the Bible where it says that the Bible literally, like, he didn't die. He just went to heaven. And listen, I know I'm opening up a can of worms with these kind of stories because there's a lot of, like, how did he live 365 years? It seems really odd, Pastor Scott. Can you break that? No, I I can't. I can't. God is God. And that's why he lived 365 years because in the old Testament, they lived forever long. And then, and then God said, it's not good that y'all live forever long. And so he started to break down the years. Uh, he actually says 120 years at one point, and then it just keeps breaking down. And then we started eating processed food and we'll be lucky if we live to 55. Um, and so, but Enoch was 65 before he had a kid. I love that line after, after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God. There was a transformative moment in Enoch's life. 
and it was becoming a dad. Because he, he looked at that kid and he said, I've got to make decisions no longer just based off of who I am, but what's best for this one as well. Every brother and sister that will come afterwards. And whether you have kids or not, I believe there are things in our life where we go, you know what? I need to, I need to, I need to refocus and regain my thought process so that I live in a way that not only can I be proud of who I am, but when people look at me, they will know that I'm doing the best version that I can with God. And whether that's a teenager that you're close to, or maybe you're the cool aunt or uncle, or, or maybe you're just, you know, your best friend's kids are looking up to you as like a fake aunt or uncle. I grew up with people like, this is my aunt. What, you're not really related to me? We all have that. We look at the way they live and we go, is that really how I want to live? And Enoch looked when he had his his first son and he said, I'm going to walk faithfully with God so that everybody will know and my kids will know that I am a person that God can trust. Enoch experienced a transformative moment with his child. After the birth of his son, Enoch took his faith walk to another level. Something about the responsibility for a new life transformed his spiritual walk. And can I tell you that transformation comes from faith? Because you cannot transform what you don't believe. You, you, can't, you can't read something enough to just make you believe it. If, that, I mean, if it was just up to reading stuff, we'd all be super smart. Hopefully. I hate reading. Unless it's like, unless, I, I don't do fiction books. Like, I don't do the, you know, no, oh, this is made up. No, I don't care. In, in school, I would read the first chapter, a middle chapter, and a last chapter. Let me take the test. Passed it every single time. Every single time. I actually told my English teacher one time. We read, I think it was Jurassic Park. And I said, yeah, I watched the movie, and I read the front and end chapter, and I, got, I passed your final with a B. She said, Scott, you're not supposed to tell me that. Okay, well, I'm just letting you know. But... Here's the thing is that if it was just knowledge intake, we would have an understanding that is probably deeper than what we're used to. The reality is, is that, that transformative moments are bigger than just what we intake knowledge-wise. It's how we take that knowledge and we put it into practical application into our life. You may know that God loves you, but you may not be able to live within the aspect that you believe that God loves you. God can love everybody else, but how can he love me? God can, for, God can forgive all sins, but for some reason, when it comes to our life decisions, we think that God can forgive every sin except for ours. Oh, but you don't understand, Scott. He, 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 if, he, if you even had a clue of all the things that I've walked through, it doesn't matter if I have a clue. I'm not the one forgiving you. <laughs> and we should all be thankful for that, that we're not each other's gods. It's like, you know, well, you know, Sky, you get to choose if people are going to be forgiven of their sins today. What if she had a bad day? What if she woke up hangry? Like, no, you all suck. We should be thankful that our judgmental mindset doesn't get to choose who gets to go to heaven and hell. Because the reality is, is that we would, if they don't look like us and live like us, then we would choose the opposite because we, are, we become our own standard. And God says, no, 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 transformative moments in our life have nothing to do with you or anybody else. It has you being willing to be faithful And you being willing to come to the foot of the cross and say, God, I want you to change my life. I want you to be the standard of my living. I don't want want this world to try to tell me how to live. I don't want the politics to tell me how to live. I don't want any of that. All of that can be good and fine in its place. But God, you are the first things in my life, and I want your 
truth and I want your faith to be the reason why I am transformed. Transformation comes from faith, it comes from peace, and it comes from his presence. You cannot have transformation outside of God's presence. You absolutely cannot. I was having a conversation with somebody uh, this, uh, this week and uh, we we're talking about life choices, just random conversations that we have, right? And, uh, and so <laughs> I remember we were talking and I said, let me ask you two questions. This is a good two questions for everybody to understand. In the moments where you're walking and you're trying to figure out God's will in your life, the, the first question I would have for you is, do you have peace? Without peace, you're not in the place where God wants you to be. The second question that I asked this person, because she, she said, yeah, I, I have peace in that. I said, okay, do you feel comfortable? And I think she was expecting the, the need to say yes. The real answer is that the, most of the times we say no. Do you feel comfortable with where you're at in your life, even though you've got peace? No, not really. Good, you're right where you need to be. Comfortability is not a, a needed thing for God's will in your life. Matter of fact, I would say this. It's just the opposite. Most of the time, God wants to give you peace that you're walking in his will, but he's going to make it very uncomfortable because he wants you to trust him. You don't have to, if you're comfortable, you don't have to trust God. I've got this. Transformative moments come when you, when you have to trust God. How many know if you have kids, you know. It doesn't come with a manual. I wish it did. <laughs> like, like, it's the one, it's the biggest decision, biggest thing you have in your life. I guarantee it. Marriage is great, but a child is a whole nother level of, of responsibility. And they just come out. You're responsible for them for the rest of their life. Don't screw it up. Manual that comes with this thing? It's broken. Can I take it back? Like, <laughs> it's the biggest thing in our life. And God goes, here you go, rookie, have fun. Don't break it. It's a transformative moment. And guess what? It, it causes you to mature, hopefully, most people. To go, I want to do the best for this person in my life because they are a part of me. And God looks at you and he thinks the same thing. He goes, you are a part of me and I want the best for you. And you've got to have transformative moments with me, the Father, so that your life can look and be exactly how I want you to live. And once we embrace our transformative moments, we must decide where we are spiritually and where we need to grow and walk with our God. The second father that I want us to learn from is Abraham. Some of you went straight to the song. Yep. <laughs> I don't know the song. I wasn't raised. Listen, y'all look at, see, see it's, I, I, I was just judged. I was just judged because I wasn't raised. I was raised in Catholic church. We didn't sing Father Abraham, okay? My wife said there's hand signals and everything. That's creepy. You walk by a church, a bunch of kids out there, Father Abraham, marching in the net. Like, what are we? No. No, we will not teach me. We will not. <laughs> Because I don't want freedom kids walking around like we're militant teaching. No. You know what Abraham can teach us other than a stupid little song? He can teach us spiritual mindset. In Hebrews 11:8, it says this. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave his home and go to another land that God would give him in, as his inheritance. He, this line makes no sense to me. He went without knowing where he was going. I want you to move. I want you to go somewhere. I'm going to give you an inheritance. It's really vague. 
And Abraham went and said, oh, okay. Where are we going? Not going to tell you. Just trust me. I don't trust anybody that well. I, I'm, you know, I'm just being honest and being real. Like, if, if somebody came to me and said, listen, God has spoken through to me for you. There is a place. Like, people look at me, and I've had this all over the time. How did you end up in Camden? Like, and, and I kid you not, more times than not, a lot of people are like, did you throw a dart at a wall? Like, come on. You really think that's how I picked Camden? First of all, that would be a miracle in and of itself if that's how I picked Camden. Pull a map out of the United States and throw a dart at it. You'll never hit Camden. Camden's probably not even written on the map. And Abraham, God speaks to him and says, I've got an inheritance for you. You're going to be the father of, of more than you could even imagine. But you've got to trust me. Now let's go. And he picks up from his family's compound, because that's how they lived back in the day. And he said, all right, let's go. And he grabbed his, his wife, and they went on an adventure. I mean, at least I knew where I was going. Abraham literally picked up and said, I'm gone. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed God and didn't even know where he was going. Romans 4.16 says this, so the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. If we have faith like Abraham, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. It was Abraham's faith that catapulted him into a level of leadership and a level of transformation. So you could know all the right things. Listen, you could go and you could study at seminaries and you could study Greek and Hebrew and you could know all the things about the Bible, but if you cannot put it into practice, you can't trust God. I don't care how many scriptures you memorized. I don't think God cares how many scriptures you've memorized. It's that you would intake the word, that it would be hidden in your heart, that it would literally come out as a lifestyle, a faith choice, that, 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 you, that you live it out. You can't just, not just regurgitate it and, oh, look, I've, I'm really good at studying and remembering. No, I want you to live this out. I want you to live it out in faith. I don't want you to be caught up in cultural preference. I don't want you to be caught up in political preference. I don't want you to be caught up in, in even uh, church politic preference. Amen. <laughs> We need less politics in churches and more Jesus. And trusting that, that, that we are building a community that is making an impact in our community and saying it is by faith that we are drawing people. I don't want, listen, if, if, if the people that come are pretty and well and dressed up and got it all together, great. They have a place here too. But I'm also looking for the misfit. It's far too often in places, the misfit is, is the one that Jesus is looking for, but yet the rest of the world says they're too smelly, they're too unclean, they're too out there, they're, they're too different, they, they don't look like us, they're not clean cut, they're not this, they're not that, they're not, and we, we have a whole lot of things that we expect somebody to be in church. How about they just show up? How about they just show up? How about we just make them feel welcomed and loved? I've, I've said this before, and it's really a testament to you guys. One of the greatest things that I've ever been told about Freedom Church is that we feel like a place where they're welcomed and loved. I'll take that over most things in life. Abraham is called our father in the faith because when God called him to go where he, was, where he knew not, Abraham charted his path for faith. I always wanted to live my life in a way where I said, God, if you spoke it to me, I'll do it. That's a scary place to live. I go back to that uncomfortable. <laughs> Faith is a very uncomfortable lifestyle. 
because we're saying, God, at a split moment, you can change everything and I'll be okay with it. If God literally, if I woke up tomorrow morning and God said, hey, it's been a fun ride, move to Africa. Me and him may have some questions. I may have some things I need to clarify with God. It was at the steak I ate. What was it? What are you doing here? But ultimately, if God speaks it, I can stand up here and say I'll do it. I will. Because I would rather live uncomfortable in the will of God than comfortably outside of it. And Abraham was the model, the father of our faith that showed us that, listen, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter who you're with. What matters is when you are with God and following him in faith, all things will lead to a good ending. We are adopting a spiritual mindset that when we chart our path by faith, the spiritual mindset is one where we are unintimidated by the obstacles we see because our focus is on the unseen presence and power of God that is within us. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Some of you are walking through some things. And you see what you see in front of you and you go, how can I ever survive this? How can I survive this moment? I can't, I can't even understand how I'm going to pay this bill or I, I, I've been losing friends left and right or I'm having a hard time with these decisions. And God says, no, 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 no. The, we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. In other words, the faith that we have in God to pursue him and his purpose will last an eternity over the, the things that we can touch, feel, and see in this moment. We had a, a young lady who was going to try to drown herself in the river a couple weeks ago. We showed up on scene, and um, Sergeant Watts, she ran out into the water, and I ran out behind her, and she was talking to this young lady. And she just asked a simple question about, where would you go if you died? They had a little conversation, and after all that was said and done, uh, we were back in the car, and we were talking, and I, and, and I said, said to actually, we pulled the, she finally walked into the, from the river. And I looked at her and I said, never give yourself a permanent solution to a temporary issue. So I sit here and I tell you this. Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on your faith because you're walking through a valley season. You gotta train that mindset to say, I'm strong enough to walk through the low times because with God, all things are possible when I'm willing to walk it out, when I'm willing to realize that, that this isn't my, my home, this isn't my resting place. And I can walk through, I, I, I tell people, you can walk through anything for a season when you have faith. Don't let a, a permanent solution to a temporary issue a tough spiritual mindset allows us to face the tough times and not focus on them. When I'm, when I'm facing tough times, they're not my focus. My God is. God, how would you want me to react to this? God, how do you want me to react to this person? God, how do you want me to react to my finances? God, what is it? How is it? What am I supposed to be learning through this? The third father that we need to learn from is Jacob. What we learn from Jacob is spiritual breakthrough. Genesis 32, 28, it says, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. This is when he wrestled with God. 
From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. See, Jacob was a deceiver as a young man. He was a shortcut artist. So you may know somebody like that. Well, what's the easiest way to get things done? What's the shortcut route? You know, it may not be the best, but it's going to get the job done. And, and that was Jacob. He was always looking for ways to, to, to get what he wanted in a different way, in a different time. Let's, let's, let's cut the time frame down. He would rather scheme than work. His deceitful scheming nearly destroyed his relationship with his brother back in Genesis, Genesis 27, 36, and his father in 27, 35. But see, God saw something in Jacob no one else could see. And despite Jacob's theft of his brother's inheritance, that's a pretty big deal, In a misguided search for significance, there is a redeeming factor only the father can see, which is that the birthright he seeks to steal is more than a spiritual treasure than a financial one. In other words, here's the thing that God saw, everybody else saw Jacob in a certain light. Jacob's a liar. He's deceitful. He's no good. How many times has the world put labels on you? Ah, you start to believe it. Not smart enough. Not good enough. You'll never be this person. You'll never survive. You'll never be successful the way that you want to. We start to believe these lies. You'll never be a good father. You'll never be a good mother. You'll, you'll never be a good person. What are you looking at? What's right there? That tiny spider's freaking you out. Now it's a dead spider. Sorry, John. Sorry, John. <laughs> She's like looking down. I'm like, oh God, is there a snake at my feet? Like, I thought we were about to just say amen and run out the building. So many times the world tries to tell you what you are not or what you can't do, and we buy the lie. I guarantee you that if, if, if you really sat with yourself long enough, each and every one of us have a story where we bought the lie of the enemy. And God sits back like Jacob and he says, I see you not in the light of how the world sees you. I see you in the light of how I created you. I created you. And so he, he looks at Jacob and he says, you'll no longer be Jacob, which means deceiver. You will now be Israel because you have fought with God and with man and you have won. You have found your spiritual breakthrough. Spiritual breakthrough is that moment when we turn from who we were into who we are destined to be. And this happens in stages. I think the, one of the worst things the church can ever do is try to tell you, oh man, it's gotta be right now. Man, you gotta go from sinner to saint like in no time flat. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. It says we disciple people. What does disciple mean? It means that we literally take the time to link arms with one another and do life with one another. In the, in the, in the hard times, in the Bible study times, in the fun times where we're floating on a river. It, listen, discipleship is doing life with. It's not a course of study. It's not a, hey, let's go study the book of John. Oh, now you're a disciple. It's, I'm linking arms with you. When you're in the chaotic moments where you don't think that you can do it, and I'm going to lift you up when, you, when, you, when you're down. And if we don't think that we need that, and men, I'm going to speak to you specifically about this. Men, if you don't think that we need that, look at everything that we are a part of and then we get to church and we go, wow, emotional stuff, get off me. Really, military? What is that, a band of brothers? Team? We're running around slapping each other on our butts saying, good job? 
But we get in church and don't hug me. Ooh, creepy weirdos. Can't tell you how many men's butts I've slapped. I probably shouldn't even say that on stage because it sounds weird. <laughs> Grew up playing sports. Good game. Grown man still playing flag football. Good game. So weird. But isn't, isn't that funny, though? But in the scheme of how we see life, we don't see that as weird in the moment. We don't see it as weird in the military when we, when we come tight like family. But when we get into church, we bought the lie that, whoa, man, get away from me. Whoa, I don't talk about feelings. Shut up. <laughs> You'd rather your marriage go down the drain than talk to somebody? You'd rather your relationship get worse because you're, won't, you're not willing to talk to somebody? You'd rather not be the best version of a father that you can be because you're not willing to get with somebody who's done it for 20, 30 years and say, how did you do it without killing them? Let me, let me just be real because, listen, can I, I'm getting on my soapbox with men for a minute because we don't, I don't get to address you enough as just men. Can I tell you something? The church is waiting for a group of men to rise up and lead like the Bible says that we're supposed to. And that's hard because we've allowed women to take the role. And listen, this is not a sexist thing, so you can catch me later with that. It's a biblical role of men that we are not taking the place of. We need men to step up and say, I will be the men that step up and I will, I will rise to the occasion so that people have something to look to. I don't, I'm not asking for perfect. <laughs> Please don't be perfect. I'm saying, I'm asking for men to say, you know what? Everything that is outside that we like to do, that, that we have no problem doing, we get in the church and then it's like, Ugh. we need to stop that. We need to lock arms as men, and we need to start helping each other be the best versions of ourselves so that our wives can have a better uh, understanding of who we are supposed to be as men, so our kids can have a better understanding, so, so, so we can operate within the spiritual uh, disciplines and the spiritual purposes that we were designed as men. I guarantee you, when the men start to, and listen, can I tell you right now, look around, there's a lot of men in this room. That is uncharacteristic of a church. Uncharacteristic. 70% of churches ran by women, not here. Look around. We have a great blend. We have men that have said, I will stand for the cause of Christ. I love that. I'm saying, let's keep going. Those spiritual breakthroughs, we need them where we say, we're not going to let the world tell us and we're going to walk in stages and we're going to disciple and we're going to run with each other. This radical transformation for Jacob occurred in Genesis 32. It was there when he wrestled with God, and God wrestled deceit out of him and, and destiny into him. And what we learn from Jacob is life must be faced and responsibilities embraced before we can experience the type of spiritual breakthrough putting us on course to fulfill our destiny. Two more. The next one is Moses. What do we learn from Moses? A whole lot, but this particular today, Spiritual reinvention. Exodus 18, 14 through 18. This is already after they've exodus uh, out of Egypt. They're, you know, they're now this wandering two million group of complainers because that's what they were. And it says, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? Nothing better than your father-in-law come alongside you and say, what are you really doing here? You're really doing anything worth a lick? I'm sure Moses loved that. 
And so he goes, what are you really accomplishing here? He says, why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? Moses replied, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me, and I am the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them his instructions. Listen to what Moses' father-in-law Jethro says. This is not good. Why? Because you're going to wear yourself out and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Moses was putting his job and his ministry before his family. One of the hardest lessons I've ever had to learn is to stop putting my ministry, which was also my job for so many years, ahead of my family. Our number one job as fathers, our number one ministry is to our family first. You are no good to the church. You are no good to the world around you if you are not first good to your family. Here's Moses, and he's thinking, he's got, I'm running, I'm running a two million person community, country, whatever you want to call it. I'm running them. They depend on me. They come, and they, they need judgments, and I've got to tell them God's decrees. And Jethro's like, you're an idiot. Your family's needing you. He says, there's a time and a place, and there's a balance to all this. And this is one of the things that we learned from Moses. There is a balance to our life. Somebody needs to say that to, in their own life. There is a balance to life. We're willing to run ourselves completely thin for the sake of take, and sometimes we, we call it taking care of our family. I look at my kids and I'm like, you got more crap than I ever had as a kid. Is that really taking care of them? I think we're getting to a, like a reverse swing of things where, where we're, we're, we're giving them so much, but we're not giving of ourselves. Man, I want, I want, a, I want a, a church that rises up and says, I want to pour not just things into their life, but I want to pour, more importantly, myself into them. Don't do things because you feel you have to. Do things where there's a purpose, a peace, and a balance. Let's say that again because I think some, somebody in this room needs to hear that. Don't do things because you feel you have to. Do things where there's a purpose, a peace, and a balance. God calls for balance in our life. Once again, balance doesn't mean perfect or having it all together or not having busy seasons, but trusting and following the one who has called you. When you read all of Exodus 18 in its entirety, we discover that at the very beginning, Jethro calls on Moses, Moses to embrace spiritual reinvention because he calls him to his family first. He says, your wife and your kids are here. What are you doing? And then he says, there needs to be balance in this. He calls him to change the way he lives and leads and understand that when he works, when work takes too much from your family, it's time to change. Some of us need to, yeah, I was listening to a song this week and he has this whole line, it's a, it's a rapper and he has this whole line about how his, the song is about eternity and he's talking about how we work 65 years, we, we build this great little uh, uh, nest of, of finances to, to provide for us when we retire only to realize that, and, and here's the greatest line that I've heard in a long time in a song, that the richest places at the grave filled with a lot of purpose and dreams unmet. We work so hard our whole life to take care of things to realize that the one thing that our kids and the people around us and our communities needed was people of hope, people to dream, people to say, let's run together and let's do some great things. 
Some of us need to spiritually reinvent our lives. And lastly, David, where we learn spiritual training. First Chronicles 28, 20 says this, then David continued, be strong and courageous and do the work. Don't be afraid or discouraged for the Lord God, my God is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. He will see to it that all the work related to the temple of the Lord is finished correctly. This was what he told his son Solomon. This was the encouragement that he passed on to him. The older I get, the more I'm convinced that I am, that teaching is the most notable human pursuit. That if I want to do anything, it's not passing on riches, I don't have them. <laughs> Kids will get a, maybe like a car <laughs> and split the house or something. I don't know. It's not going to be a lot. So what can I give them? And I, I hope that what I can give them is a legacy that says that there's something far greater than just going along with culture and doing whatever everybody else does. Don't buy the lies. Not good enough. Don't buy the lies that, that you can't do anything, that you put your heart and mind to it. And don't buy the lies that God is some old crotchety guy waiting to throw lightning bolts at you because he loves you with everything inside of you and he wants the best for you. That's what I want to pass on. I don't want church to be a boring place where you just come and click your time card. I want people to go, man, I'm excited to serve with our freedom family. When people to go, man, I remember when, when, I, when I came and, and, and I, was, I was just living my life. And, doing, and, and, and you know what? God gave me purpose by coming here and finding my place. I always say it this way. What will your dash say? You can go ahead. What will your dash say? Because on your tombstone, it's going to have a beginning date. Mine's 1983. Hey. Then you have an end date. Lord, hopefully it's somewhere in the 20 way down there. But that dash, that dash is the most important thing that's on that tombstone. Because people will look at that tombstone and they'll say, they'll talk about the life you lived. Not when you were born or when you died. But the life you lived. The legacy you left. And there may be a lot of great things that you do in your life. I'll tell you this, my hope, my prayer is like David. I can look at my kids and the people that I've had a fun time investing in and say, you know what? He ran a race in such a way that he could care less if he lost it all as long as he gained Christ. I've lost it all, by the way, before. Well, I mean, I mean, literally lost it all. Lost my house, sold my truck. It's like a really bad country song. I lost everything but my wife and my dog. Okay. <laughs> so, and I remember when, when, when I lost our house and, and when we lost our house, I lost my truck because I sold my truck so that I could pay for my wife's car. And I had people coming up to me and we were pastoring at the time. Pastor Scott, we're so sorry that you're having to walk through this. And I don't know, I, maybe it was just this like, I, I'm just young and dumb and I didn't really get it because I was 23. <laughs> but I was like, what's the big deal? I'm not homeless. Yeah, but you had to give up your house. Got another one. I mean, it's not mine. I'm renting it. But we're not living under a bridge. You had to sell your truck. I mean, eventually that truck would go somewhere anyways. 
I don't like what I'm driving, but uh, it gets me from point A to point B. Trust me, if you know me long enough, you're going to hear about some crappy 97 Ford Explorer that just would never die. <laughs> and I was all excited. With, I found an Explorer for $3,000. Listen, if that line ever comes out of my mouth again, shoot me. My wife was like, are you sure? I'm like, this is all we can afford with the money that's left over from selling the truck. Yeah. It was either that or the Honda Civic with the Lamborghini doors, which my wife was not letting me buy, but I was so excited to try to buy. Y'all, in a different life, I was a street racer, okay? I was so, I was like, I, listen, before Facebook Marketplace, there was Craigslist, okay? And I remember showing my wife on Craigslist. I'm like, look at this sick car. It was like your color blue on your shirt, Caleb. And, and I was like, look at this sick car. Look at the, look at the doors. And it came up like a Lamborghini door. And I'm like, this is awesome. She goes, you're not buying that. Nobody ever lets me have fun. She's like, how do we get, fit? How do we get kids in that? I'm like, we got your car. The point is this, is that people are, oh, Pastor Scott, oh. I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't mistake things for having peace and purpose. Because if my house is what gives me purpose, I have lost all track of what really I should be doing in life. If the car I drive is what gives me purpose, I'm lacking the depth of who God has called me to be. Because at the end of the day, you can't, you can't dig a big enough grave for the things that we would be chasing. So why not learn from these five fathers? You know, one reason David produced such a lasting legacy was his capacity to walk with God and teach others to do the same. I love that. I love that idea that, that David had this capacity to say, I'm not perfect. Lord knows. He, had a, he, he slept with some dude's wife, then tried to get him to come back and sleep with her so that the baby would look like it was his. And then when he wouldn't do that, he killed the dude and raised the, raised the baby. He's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But then it was after all of that and, and, and after David repented from his sin that God called him a man after his own heart. You know what that tells me? The redeeming factor is there for each and every one of us. Put your biggest sin down on the table. God will say, I can redeem that. You don't understand. I just literally read the story of a guy who cheated with somebody, had a baby out of wedlock, and then killed the, the husband. If you haven't done any of that, I'm pretty sure God can redeem you. But we'll buy the lie that you're not good enough. Learn from these five fathers of the faith. We got to reach after our transformative moments in Christ to say, God, I want to be somebody you've called me to be. Will you pray with me? Maybe you're sitting here and you're hearing that and you're going, you know what? I would love a transformative moment with Jesus. Well, maybe today is your day. Maybe you've never made the decision to walk with him. And you want to say, you know what? Today I want to start a relationship with Jesus. You've never said that. You've never done that. Or maybe you've done that, but you've, you've walked away from him. And you're saying, I, I need to renew my, my relationship with Christ. If that's either one of you, but nobody's looking around, will you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Amen. Amen. God sees those hands. And you know what the greatest thing about it is? It's not a prayer. It's a, it's a moment in life where you say, I'm choosing to, to, to change my life for the glory of God. To make his ways my ways. 
to dive headfirst into the, to the, the goodness of God and to follow his path and to read his word. And I'm going to turn my back to the ways of the world because, because they have led me to where I'm at today and I don't like it. So God, I pray for those two hands and I pray that their heart is in a place where they're saying, God, I, I want you in my life. It's a simple thing. We call it the sinner's prayer, but really it's just, it's a, it's a follower's prayer to say, I want to follow Jesus. Y'all would repeat this after me. Just say, dear Jesus, I choose you because you chose me. Thank you for the cross. That you saved me from my sin so that I could live in your purpose. I love you, God. Help me to live this out and to choose you from this day forward.